Beloved brothers and sisters, would you stand for the hearing and faith of God's holy word? This morning, I'm going to be reading three texts from the Gospel of Matthew. Three texts from the Gospel of Matthew 5, 9, 5, 23 to 24, and then 18, 15 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, I'm sorry, verse 5, 9 rather. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. In chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, then take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, then tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Father, take this word, we pray. Make us... Truly, sons and daughters of peace, uh, Father, we desire to be blessed peacemakers, peacekeepers, peacetakers, because we have known the God of peace who has made peace with us and who have established your grace, your favor toward us by the blood of Jesus. So, Father, we pray that we will learn from our Lord Jesus, that as he has came and preached peace to we who are near and those who are far, and he has made peace with his blood, so too, Father, we, may we as sons and daughters of the Most High, disciples of Jesus, may we also know and practice in reality faith what it means to be peacemakers. Help us to that end, we pray this very day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, beloved. By way of beginning this morning, I do want to direct you to the two quotations on the front of your order of worship. You may have already read these earlier. If not, I'm going to read them again. I think this is a good place to begin because as we consider today, uh, two weeks ago, we considered from Ephesians 2 the reality of the God who has made peace with us. That's where it all begins, right? Any, any peacemaking we do uh, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, of disciples of Jesus, flows out of the peace that has already come to us, not only by example, but through atonement through Jesus, who by his blood has made peace with us. He has established one body, the walls of separation having been broken down, Ephesians 2 says. The enmity, the hostility that was once there, having been dissolved in him so that one body, Jew and Gentile, would come through one Father, one Spirit to worship together as one people of God, the true Israel of God. Brethren, that's the context then for all that we do. It's an imitation of our Father who has made peace with us through Jesus and has given us that peace through the spirit of peace, even our, the Holy Spirit who has come and dwelt in us to make us peacemakers. So that's our context. So here are these two quotes. Number one from uh, Puritan Richard Baxter. And this, this is true. He that is not a son of peace is not a son of God. It may seem like strong language, brethren, but I'm going to assert to you that is absolutely true. All other sins destroy the church consequentially, but division and separation demolish it directly. And then Jay Adams. I love Jay Adams. 
If you've been putting off going to another person to try to achieve reconciliation with him, you have wronged him. Jesus won't allow the unreconciled condition to continue among believers. Matthew 5, if another considers you to have wronged him, Jesus says that you must go. Matthew 18, he says that if the other person has done something wrong to you, you must go. There's never a time when you can sit and wait for your brother to come to you. Jesus doesn't allow for that. He gives no opportunity for that. It's always your obligation to go. There's one more. It's not on there, but I'm going to quote from Jerry Bridges again as we begin. Brother Jerry, uh, he says this, We must take the initiative to restore peace. Jesus taught that it makes no difference whether you have wronged your brother or he has wronged you. Either way, you're always responsible to initiate efforts towards peace. If we are serious about intently pursuing peace, we won't be concerned about which of us is the offending party. We will have one goal, to restore peace in a godly manner. Unresolved conflict between believers is sin and must be treated as such. Otherwise, it will spread throughout the body like cancer until it requires radical spiritual surgery. Far better to deal with it when it is more easily contained. Brethren, I hope you see the urgency of this. One of the reasons, you know, we're doing, I'm preaching on this topic is um, this is actually right at the core, as we've talked about our, our mission vision. Um, you know, if you look on our, our, our belief, liberty, mutual respect, that one, the target on the front, right there in the middle, right at the center of that says uh, peacemaking, the peacemaker pledge about being a people that are committed to being peacemakers, peace pursuers. And so, you know, there may be points where we find ourselves in conflict and say, okay, we haven't got it resolved yet, but we're taking tangible steps, not sitting idly, not doing nothing, but saying let's, let's, let, let's move, move that direction because this is about the gospel. It's about being a people that reflect the reality of who God is, the gospel of peace. When we allow disunity to fester over time, and say, it's okay, I'm just going to kick it under the rug, and I'm going to let roots of bitterness grow, animosity, refuse to repent or refuse to go to the brother or sister. The, the net effect is it is. It's like Jerry says, it's a cancer, and it grows, it spreads, it hurts, it damages, and the gospel ultimately is compromised. And, we, and churches that are like that are, are, are ultimately not fruitful. They will not be fruitful. And so if we would have the God of peace and his blessing on us, we must be people that are peacemakers practicing peace. It's really that simple. Let's consider very briefly then the three key points. Number one, uh, and again, I'm just going to hit these you know, not, not deep, just high level. Matthew 5, 9. Lord Jesus says to us there, Blessed of the Lord are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The blessed peacemakers, literally the word, the idea is, these are people who that are peaceable, Peace receiving from God, peacemakers, and therefore peace takers. And not in the sense of taking peace from others, but taking peace to others. Right? Let me say that again. They're people that are peaceable of heart. They love peace. Now, they're willing to fight for peace when necessary. But brethren, the ultimate reading for the ultimate reason for conducting war, the Lord teaching our hands to war, is not because war is a, a good in itself, but sometimes warfare, fighting a good fight of faith is necessary to establish peace, right? 
A perpetual state of warfare is not God's ideal. It's not what he wants. We fight that there might be the shalom and the peace of God and the prosperity and the flourishing of God. So there's your peaceable peace receiving from God, peacemakers within the church and peace takers uh, to those outside, the offer of amnesty and peace to those in darkness. The God of peace, the scripture says, has made peace with us. Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into a state of ongoing perpetual grace in which we stand. What a glorious thing. The God of peace who makes peace, we have known that peace, as Ephesians 2 says. He has come and preached peace to we who are near, to those who are far, brought us in and drawn us near to himself through the Spirit. And he has pronounced blessing. Those who used to be enemies, who were unjust, ungodly, Romans 5, further down as we read earlier. He has made us into friends instead of enemies. He has changed us from outcasts to sons and daughters of the living God. He has taken off our filthy clothes and given us robes of righteousness and a name and a title. It's children of the living God. What a glorious thing this is. We love the God of peace because he has loved us. And therefore, because we love the God of peace, the fruit of that is that we love the peace of God. The two are inevitably connected. We will, if we have known the God of peace and known his heart, and it is that God through Jesus and the Spirit that is moving in us, the inevitable fruit of that will be love, joy, peace. Peacemaking, peace-loving. Purveyors of peace. And therefore, like I said, we fight against enemies of the prince and the kingdom of peace who seek to bring about, and we seek to bring about and foster true peace in Jesus' blood, in his name, between God and all, as Luke 10, verse 5 through 6 says, all sons of peace. We'll probably look at that text more next week. But the idea of those with whom God is looking to make peace, his people, we are that we take the peace of God in His name, His offer of amnesty to cease your warfare, of blessing to all those that will lay down their arms, put their faith in Jesus, cast themselves on Him, and He comes and says, Peace to you, I will give my peace to you, and bless you in Jesus' name, and bring you to myself. Brethren, that's what the God of peace does, and He loves to do it. As I said, He is not stingy with His grace. His liberal heart of grace makes him a God that is liberal in desiring to be at peace with enemies to convert them from enemies into friends, into family. So brethren, let us be that. And you notice he says here, they're called sons of God. This title, sons of God to the blessed peacemakers. That word blessed again means the happy, those who are the have gladness of heart because they are in right relationship with God. That's what the Greek word means. They are those who are in right relationship of state of favor and grace with God. They are therefore the blessed of God who in turn bless God. And because of that, there is the, the fruits of the Spirit. There are the things we see in the Beatitude. And it says they'll be called the sons of God. So, of course, this means that, yes, these are the people who were born of God, born of the Spirit, They have His Spirit within them to create the fruits of the Spirit, the heart and the character of the living God within them, the family likeness. But also this term sons of God has the idea of being in the Scriptures of being on God's divine family, kind of royal priestly council. 
When you look and see where the term sons of God is used throughout the scriptures, we see over and over again, you know, that it has this idea of being part of God's family industry, of being about his kingdom, servants, faith, faithful members of his household, doing his will for the advance of his kingdom and righteousness, being about, as Jesus says, I must always be about my father's business. Brethren, his people, our fundamental goal then is to say, I must be about my father's business. What is my father's business? It's his kingdom and righteousness going forth to create peace where there was not peace. Right? That, that, that's his business. And we are sons, children of God, part of his divine family, royal priestly council. We are elected, entitled, empowered, and equipped to reign on earth in Jesus' name as his holy priestly family. We're born of God in the Spirit. We're filled and led by his Spirit. We are commissioned to represent him both to saints and sinners, seeking above all his kingdom and his righteousness on earth as is in heaven with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places entrusted to us. We share our Father's peaceable heart in his peacemaking commission and calling. And therefore, as I said, we are not only peacemakers within the body of Christ, but we become peacetakers to those who are still enemies of His. And we're called sons of God, first by God Himself, but further than that, even by people. Remember Matthew 5, 16, a few verses down. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth that prepares people's hearts like fertilizer. That's what salt is. It prepares the soil to receive the the good word, the seed of the the Lord. It's preparatory and like fertilizer to bear fruit when it comes. You're the salt of the earth, of the land. You are the light of the world. Right? You are that city set on a hill. Let your light so shine, therefore, that men who are presently enemies of the Lord, with whom he is seeking to make peace, that they may see your good works. They may hear your words. They see the things you do in Jesus' name. They see your kindness. They see your peaceable, peacemaking spirit, your gracious, generous spirit. You're yearning for their souls and to do good to them in Jesus' name and to bless them liberally. That they may see your good works and in doing it say, Thank you, God, that this person who calls on your name, that this is one of yours. And they may worship God and come to be family by seeing and hearing and knowing you. Brethren, light has to engage with darkness. The salt has to be spread on the land to do any good. So that's not a message of withdrawal and isolation. It's rather a message of engaging with those who don't know him. It's a matter of knowing tax collectors and sinners, knowing people with whom you work who don't know him yet, other moms maybe, other people, neighbors who are still walking in darkness. Let them see your light. Let them know, yeah, those people are Christians there. You know what? They're different than the rest of us. Philippians 2, verse 14 to 16. Do all things without complaining and disputing. That is to say, be peaceable. Children of God, uh, that you may become blameless and harmless. Again, the idea of peaceableness, right? Do all things without grumbling, complaining, that you may become blameless, above reproach, and harmless. 
people that are known to be peaceable, peace lovers, peace seekers, peace takers. Children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine like lights in the world holding fast to the word of truth. Brethren, truth doesn't make us separatists. Truth makes us light. It makes us salt. Truth of the Lord makes us engage those who are walking in darkness and to love them as Jesus loves them. So brethren, my question for you is just that. Are we committed to being blessed peacemakers? Those who are known as children of the Most High. Those who, like our Lord Jesus, engage with those in darkness. Being blessed, as, as you know, among the peacemakers means having all the qualities of the Beatitudes. So if we're going to be peacemakers, then that means also by definition we're going to be those who have a humble poorness of spirit. We understand our spiritual poverty outside of Jesus. We're completely leaning, and Jesus is it. Jesus is all my righteousness today, tomorrow, uh, yesterday, and I'm leaning wholly into him and my resources because by nature I am spiritually broke, but all the treasures of heaven are entrusted to me. I'm poor in spirit. I engage, therefore, with the spiritually poor to bring them the riches of Christ. Do I mourn over my sin? Brethren, people will not be peacemakers who have not come to reality in dealing with the depths of their own depravity. There's a direct correlation between your seeing how much grace you have received and do received and how much you're willing to distribute freely and liberally in Jesus' name. People who are not peacemakers at heart show they haven't really grasped the grace and the depths of the gospel. Not rightly. Are you meek? Lowly of heart, gentle and lowly like the book. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, not weak. But they're meek enough. They have the gentleness of spirit. Are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness enough to not be satisfied with people we know who are in unrighteousness? Or, be, or, or to hunger and thirst for righteousness that we're going to be not satisfied with ongoing perpetuating divisions in the church because we want righteousness. If I love righteousness, brethren, I will not be happy and uh, long go in a state of of. of Divide, division and enmity between me and a brother, sister. We're going to deal with it quickly because I love them because I have been loved by Jesus. They are loved by Christ. They are mine. I am theirs. Jesus is ours. We will pursue peace. We will overcome fears. We will step in in faith. That's what peace does. They are merciful, having received mercy. They are pure in heart because they have known the God who is holy and pure of heart. And yes, they will be persecuted sometimes. You're going to be peacemakers, brethren. There's going to be times when unpeaceable people will inflict you because you try to be peacemakers in their name. But that's where we step in and we say, because we are peacemakers, we overcome evil with good. We bless those who curse us. We pray for those who spitefully use us. When we come across sons of people who are not peaceable to God and his kingdom, we overcome them with our peace, with our grace and our goodness. We fight the good fight of faith on our knees and with our good works. Secondly, Matthew 5, 22 to 24. Let's look a little further down. Jesus says there, I say to you who is ever, I'm going to read verse 22 also just for context. I say to you who is ever angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. And then Jesus' admonition to go and leave your gift at the altar. What is Jesus talking about there? The idea is simply this, that the pursuit of manward peace is a prerequisite for having Godward peace. If we're going to come and worship the Lord on the Lord's day, any of the day, 
I don't want to come into the Lord's house with enmity stirring and not seeking to do anything about it. Now, there are times, you know, and we've all experienced that, where we haven't reached the state of peace. We've all experienced that. But I'm not sitting idly. We're not just going to say, you know what, just don't care. No, we're going to pursue peace with those who are God's people because they are Jesus' people, and we are, Jesus, we are the, the body of Christ, and he has brought peace into our midst. So the pursuit of manward peace is a prerequisite for having Godward peace. Abiding in inward and outward anger towards a brother, as Jesus says, without a cause. The idea is without a just or a righteous cause, one that the court of heaven would ratify and the word of God would ratify. Refusing to pursue your brother, your sister in faith, hope, and love to facilitate forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration, causes God actually to discipline us by removing our temporal and spiritual peace. Let me say that again. If we refuse to pursue peace in the body of Christ, the Lord, who is a gracious and good father, he will discipline his people, chastise us, Hebrews 12. He will take away our peace to drive us toward his. Our peace personal in our life, in the church, he will let us struggle without peace to drive us to pursue it, to bring us to repentance. That's why Jesus speaks here, you know, if you're angry at your brother, without, you know, cause, you'll be in danger of the judgment. He's talking about like the local level of, of earthly judgment, you know, in, in the days, of, uh, in Jesus' days, you, like in the gates, right? This will be a temporal judgment. But if you persist, whoever says to his brother, Raka, so this, this is attacking, attacking now uh, his fitness, right? Attacking his character. It's, it's a term of derision, so now it's not just enmity inside, but now it's spoken, venting at your brother. Shall be in danger of the council. This is a step up, still temporal judgment, but it's a step up because the sin is, is, is festering and escalating. Whoever then goes and says, you fool, literally the Greek word behind that is moros, from which it we're moron. You're attacking his, his intellect. You're attacking his character. You are wicked. You're evil. what Jesus says. You'll be in danger of hellfire. How serious does God take this? He does. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave it. Leave your gift there. Go your way. Be reconciled first to your brother, then come and offer your gift. We can't persist in or escalate in anger and hatred toward a brother or sister because it sears our conscience. It hardens our hearts to the promptings of God's Spirit. It results in escalating degrees of temporal divine discipline, eventually yielding the full removal of God's peace and exposing us to eternal perdition. What Jesus says, hellfire, as one whose works and whose life have shown them to be enemies of God and His peace instead of peaceable. That's what Jesus is talking about. So then that brings us, as he says at the end of verse 24, to the necessity of prompt and proactive pursuit of peace. If you're aware that your brother or sister in Christ has something against you, an accusation of sin and wrong, regardless of whether you believe that they are correct in their assessment, Jesus says we need to go. Pursue peace. Take some steps to be right with them so that we can worship God in spirit and truth with his peace upon us. Romans 12, 18, Therefore, insofar as is possible with you, be, live at peace with all men. Be proactive. Ephesians 4, 26, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
nor give place to the devil. I don't know, we persist in enmity and bitterness, anger. We refuse to take steps to pursue peace God's way. We are opening doors of strongholds to the devil in our midst. And brethren, the devil is the sower of division. He loves to sow enmity and division in the body of Christ. He is an enemy of peace. We don't want to give him place in our midst, in our families, in the church. And we're going to come together at the Lord's table at the end of this. And, and we're told in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, you know, when we gather visibly in the very presence of God, 1 Corinthians 11, where angels are watching, that we're, we're gathering as one bread, one body, for we are one loaf in Jesus. We are in true blood-bought, peace-sustained communion Paul says there, with the body and the blood of Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 30, he says that we are corporately flesh of his flesh, bone of his bones. And I don't know about you, but if I we're flesh of his flesh, my right hand's not going to take, unless, unless there's something really serious, my right hand's not going to take a knife and cut my left hand, is it? We know better. And yet how readily we will take jabs at other members of the body of Christ. Brethren, we're one body. We're members there one of another. The peace of God means that we nourish the body of Christ. That we nourish our body. The same way with our wives. That's what Paul says there. Just as our husbands were to nourish our wives, so too we are to nourish the brethren and love all every member. This is why God takes so seriously in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 11 this eating in an unworthy manner. He says, They're failing to rightly discern and judge Jesus' body in heaven or his body and members on earth. When we judge the body wrongly and falsely, he says in 1 Corinthians 11, when we exclude by our actions, our words, we exclude, we eviscerate those whom God has approved or are approving those who God has excluded, meaning if we let those who are excommunicated in our church discipline participate, we actually, in both instances, we anger God, we incur His discipline, and as He says there, some of you even sleep on account of this. God takes this very seriously. So let me just give you a couple quick applications. Number one, avoid all escapist responses. The conflict, our, our nature so often tends to dismiss, reject any obligations to pursue peace and unity among the brethren. We, sometimes we will do things like denying. We will say, you know, th th there's really not a problem between me and this brother or sister. Eh, just kind of stick your head in the sand and pretend it's not there, right? Maybe we respond with flight with running away from the conflict, permanently pulling away, uh, isolating ourselves. Brethren, those are all contrary to the command here. Sometimes we can, instead of doing uh, escape responses, we engage in what we call attack responses, right? We, in anger, we harbor angerness and bitter enmity in our heart and let it stir and fister until, as Hebrews uh, 10 says, it becomes a, 12 says, it's a root of bitterness defiling many, Hebrews 12, 15. We engage in assault responses, verbal attacks like gossip and slander, retributive, punitive actions to inflict damage on people's possessions, their lives, their relationships, whatever, their character. 
Sometimes that may escalate even to litigation. You know, but the Lord has given us in His Word how to handle that as a church. If there's real conflicts of such a nature that can't be resolved before that, He's given us, as we're going to see, that the church, the people of God, the elders can mediate, can arbitrate, but that the church is the court of the Lord on earth, having given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And with that, then turn to the last passage very quickly. Look at Matthew 18. If you skip ahead, just a couple points here. Again, I'm not going to read the whole thing for context. Just remember, our Lord Jesus says, in this case, whereas in Matthew 5, it's if you know that your brother has uh, ought against you, you go and pursue peace. In this case, if your brother has sinned against you, so you're the, uh, as you perceive it, the victim, you're the one who's been wronged, then you go. You tell him his fault between you and him alone, and so on. So the first thing, verse 15, means there's got to be personal, private exhortation and admonition. This requires faith. It requires faith on our part that overcomes fear of man. Let's be honest. Somebody does you wrong, and it's not such a light thing that you can just, you know, let it just go. There's a place for that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think it's verse 4. You know, the Apostle Paul says, why not allow yourself to be wronged? There are places where we know where what somebody does against us is relatively minor. You say, you know what? I stumble in the same way. I get it. I'm just going to let it go. I'm not going to harbor bitterness. I'm not going to let it be an issue in my heart. For the sake of Jesus, just cover it with the blood and move on. But brethren, when it's ongoing, when it's more egregious, and it, that's not there, he's, what does he say? He says, you go, overcome your fear of man by God's grace because you have a hope that overcomes despair and cynicism. Maybe, maybe it's like, yeah, I just, I don't believe that would ever work. I can't, yeah, whatever. Where's the hope in a God of peace who is willing to work and bring peace amongst us when we step out in faith? Overcoming our fears, like, well, what if they don't like it? What if they don't respond well? Well, brothers and sisters, you don't know until you try. And do you believe? You pray, Lord, would you go ahead of me and would you create peace between me and this brother or this sister? Would you give them an open ear to receive and give me grace to speak what needs to be said because I love them and I have a love that overcomes apathy and anger and wrath. I want your kingdom and righteousness. I want the peace of God and the joy and the Holy Spirit. Remember the kingdom of God, Romans 14, 17, is, uh, is, is, is in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I want that. I want your visible manifestation, Lord, of your kingdom working here in the church. I want the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, like Ephesians 4, 3 says. Mind you, First John, he tells us in chapter 4, how can we say that we love God whom we have seen if we refuse to love, which includes pursuing peace, our brethren whom we have seen in deeds and in truth? Hey, I love God, then brethren, that means we must love the brethren, and loving the brethren means taking tangible steps to say, I will not live in a state of perpetual ongoing enmity and bitterness with them. If you're the one who's being approached by a brother or sister telling you of a perceived fault, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, James 4. Either confess and repent of your sin, if, if you know they're right, you see it, to restore fellowship in the light, like 1 John 1 says, walk in the light as he is in the light. Then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. So if you see it, it's like, boy, I did sin, didn't I? Repent quickly. Do not delay. 
Or if you believe maybe that you've been misunderstood, misjudged, the sister brother comes to you and they point out a fault and you say, I, I, I hear you, but I, I don't agree. Let's talk about that. I want to exhort you, though, that with, as Ephesians says, brethren, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bear with one another. Don't get offended at that. Wouldn't you rather have a brother or sister who loves you enough, even if you think that they've mis- got misjudged you or they've misread you, who loves you enough to come and say, Brother Steve, I see something that I don't think is right. Can we talk about that? Rather than holy humility, in the name of Jesus Christ, receive that. Be glad for it. Praise God that I have brothers and sisters who love me enough to tell me what they really think, who speak truth to me. And may we always be me, you, may we be those that receive it and listen not putting our defenses up. Brethren, we are one body. We're, we're one in the Lord. We should always appreciate any brother or sister who has enough faith in God to speak what they believe truth to us and to talk about it. And he says, if they do that, then you've gained your brother. Praise God, that's the goal, to gain our brother or sister in the Lord. Gain and restore that peace, that joy in the Lord. Anything else will grieve the Spirit of God. To gain our brethren means to fully forgive, be restored to relational tangible peace. And when forgiveness is extended, it entails a commitment to not dwell on the incident anymore, not bring up the incident or weaponize it against people anymore, not to talk about it with other people, not to allow the incident to be a barrier or a hindrance to our relationship, brethren. That's what it means, peace. And then verse 16, if they don't receive it though, and, you, and, and, and after talking about it, it's clear they don't, they you're still convinced that they're in sin. It's like, I think they are, but they're not receiving it. Then what does he say? Take two or three witnesses, one or two more. The idea of witnesses here is, the sense here is that these additional brothers or sisters, they're not there so much to witness against the accused, but rather to witness the conversation, to help facilitate peace, to help facilitate arbitrate righteousness and truth. It may be that they are later on called to bear witness to what they have seen and heard. But it's not so much like, well, we can't do anything unless there's other people who have actually seen the sin. That's helpful when you have two or three witnesses, but the idea is two or three people to help. That's what he's saying. Bring a couple other people to help because we want peace so much that we're not going to just let it drop. Get help. Get people to serve as, to mediate and arbitrate and to help guide a conversation to facilitate peace and righteousness in the Lord, to bear witness And again, the goal is still to gain the brother. And then verse 17. If even that doesn't work, and it's still clear that there's a fundamental sin, disagreement, sin that needs to be uh, dealt with, peace has not been achieved, restoration, he says, then take it to the church. The sense here is to take the matter to those with the ordained authority in the church, the elders, pastors, overseers, to hear, consider, and make a ruling in Jesus' name. That's why he goes on and talks about the keys of the kingdom and binding and loosing and all that. Okay? The elders must bind or loose. They must evaluate serve, uh, listen carefully, and then make a decision based on God's word. It's a serious and holy and high calling in Jesus' name, either to loose and say, no, there is no sin. We exonerate the brother or to say, no, there is a sin, a real sin. Sister, brother, they're right. You need to repent. We see it too. And then 
They'll either hear the church, in which case we rejoice, and the brother or sisters won. Praise God, or if they don't, then let them be to you as, as, as a tax collector or sinner. That's what we're talking about, excommunication. But brethren, if we would practice this, if this was normative, I will tell you, arguments, bitterness would not be able to gain traction. The devil has no place here to churches that say, I'm going to do this. We're going to practice this. I want to exhort you today, brethren, to be peacemakers. I just want to conclude then with the four G's, what's called the Peacemaker's Pledge. Again, if you look on the, uh, our document out there, Belief, Liberty, Mutual Respect, it's right there in the target of the middle. I'm going to give you the four G's. Here we go. You ready? Number one, Peacemaker's Pledge. One, in all that you do, your first goal is to glorify God. That's one G. I know it's GG, but it's one G. Glorify God. I must be about God's glory. If I want God's glory, I'm going to be compelled to pursue peace. Don't talk to me about loving and glorifying God if I am happy to just go on in enmity and bitterness against a brother or sister. Number two, get the log out of your own eye. Didn't go on this passage, but brothers, Matthew 7, 5, 1 to, 7, 1 to 5. Brethren, obey Jesus. Before you go and initiate step one, Matthew 18, say, Lord Jesus, is there something in me that's causing me not to see rightly? To make more, to, boy, that sister or brother, they've got a huge log. Maybe it's more just a, a small thing that's being huge in my eyes because I'm not seeing right. The Lord, deal with me first. Give me the right spirit. So that's number two. Get the log out of your eye. Number three, gently restore. Galatians 6.1. You see a brother or sister who's caught in a trespass, you that are spiritual, go and bring your brother or sister out from whence they've been caught. Go and restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness, watching yourself lest you be caught. That's in Galatians 6.1. Go, gently restore. And then lastly, go and be reconciled. That's the passage we just looked at, Matthew 5.23. Brothers, sisters, God is a God of peace. He takes his peace very seriously. He takes peace within our families seriously, husbands, especially you husbands, wives, but especially husbands. Are you setting a course of peace in your family? Are you bringing peace to your wives, the peace of God to your children? Or are we taking peace from our households by the way we deal with them in, in anger or wrath? Within the church, again, are we committed to being a people within this congregation that pursues peace earnestly. Don't let those things fester. And then lastly, brethren, let's think beyond. What about Soul of Five churches? What about other churches in the area that we know may differ with us on some points, but they're orthodox. They believe the Lord. They're committed to his scriptures, committed to the gospel and in Jesus' lordship. And they're trying to do what pleases the Lord in faith because they believe the word of God. Brethren, are we committed to being at peace with them? Not just in the sense of, okay, well, fine, we'll accept them. But no, they are brethren. They are beloved of the Lord. We will engage them in Jesus' name. Eat, drink, fellowship with them, serve with them because they are Jesus' people. And if I have enmity against one of them or if I think ill of one of them, not just sitting here in our church and saying, boy, those sorry folks over there or in our private conversations saying, no, Brethren, this doesn't just apply within our congregation. It applies within the church of Jesus Christ. This is what peacemaking is. Brethren, this is the heart of our God. May the God give us the grace to be the blessed peacemakers 
and show ourselves to truly be children of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that you will help us to this end, to be blessed peacemakers. We who have known the peace of God, that we will pursue it earnestly within the church, within our families, between the church of Jesus Christ. Father, forgive us, we pray, if we have just sat on enmity and malice and done nothing or or not doing anything. Father, we pray that you will give us the grace, conviction of heart to humble ourselves, to step in in faith, step into Matthew 18, to step in to loving the brethren as you yourself have loved us. Father, these are glorious things, but they're also difficult things. Our, our fear gets in the way. Our cynicism gets in the way. Our, honestly, our hard hearts and our lack of love so often gets in the way. But, brother, Father, you have given us the Spirit, and the Spirit has said that love, peace, these are fruits of your Spirit. Father, we are asking to fill us with that Spirit. May the mind of Christ our Savior guide and control us and compel us forward to be peaceable, peacemaking, peacetaking people. In Jesus' name, amen.